All right. What a great service so far today. Let's give it up for our choir. Man. I keep auditioning. They keep telling me they're going to call me. If you did not get your Connect card in the uh, offering basket today, we're changing things just a little bit. Uh, you can leave it in your seat right there when you leave. What would be even more helpful to us is if you would drop it off at the Connect Center or drop it off at the little table out this exit here. We'll pick that up. Uh, if you did not get your offering ready in time, you can drop that off at the Connect Center or back at the Guest Welcome Center. Guys, we're just really glad you're here today. I gotta tell you something, I didn't know how many we would have today because we had our very first service on Saturday night, last night, and we had 618 people show up for the service last night. And now look, and we're full in this service. So I'm anxious now to see how many people are going to be in the next service. But we're just uh, so happy that you're here. The wonderful thing about starting the Saturday night service is that now we have room to invite people to church. So make sure you invite your friends and family and neighbors and tell them we have three opportunities for them to worship at this campus. Then remember that we are one campus or one church with three locations. Uh, we have a church that's meeting in Smithfield that was just birthed. That church meets monthly right now. And... Um, we're just praying for God's will to be done there and finding us a spot where we can have a permanent location. Uh, we have one more gathering at the uh, Johnston Community College. Uh, there may be some other gatherings there, but be in prayer for us about that as we find a permanent location in Smithfield. We have a church in Goldsboro called The Bridge. The one in Smithfield is called The Bridge as well. And uh, the, the one in Goldsboro has been meeting since 2007. So that church has been going uh, for a while. I believe that's right, 2007. Maybe it's 2009. Anyway, uh, there's a church in Goldsboro called The Bridge. And uh, I don't know when it started, but we're there now. And uh, so come on out on Thursday night. If you're going to the beach this summer, don't miss church. Don't miss church. Come on out to The Bridge on Thursday night before you bug out on Friday. And uh, here, here's what we decided. We decided that instead of uh, standing in the pulpit on Sundays and ranting and raving about people who go to the beach on the weekend, we'd just make a service for them on Thursday night so they can go to church before they go to the beach and then they can go guilt-free. Anything wrong with that? <laughs> Amen. If you think there is something wrong, I'd just kind of keep that to yourself if I were you. All right? Because we don't put God in a box around here. Live free. If you're going to live free, there's one thing that has to be dealt with. Sin. I can't live with it, but even as a Christian, I'm just not able to live without it. I know that I've been freed from sin and its power, yet guess what? I still sin. And y'all look so holy right now. Scripture tells me not to sin, not to let sin reign in my life, not to let sin dominate in my life. You can go to Romans 6 and 12. You can go to 1 John 3 and 9, and it tells you that if you're a true child of God, you just won't go on sinning, yet I still fumble the ball. I still mess up. Sin continues to exist in my life. It's a trial. It's a temptation in my life. So I want you to understand this morning, I'm going to try to help you understand 
as a Christian, your relationship to sin. In his book, The Christian Life, A Doctrinal Introduction, Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson writes about this tricky relationship that the Christian has to sin. And he offers us these words of assurance. We are no longer what we once were. We are no longer related to sin the way we once were. That truth is important for us to remember. And it is important for us to keep in our mind as we battle sin every day, any sin. Now, as a Christian, I want to make it clear that I'm not what I once was. And I'm not who I once was. Because there was a time in my life when I was a slave to sin. There was a time in my life when sin owned me. Sin dominated me. Sin had dominion over me. I was drawn to it and could not escape the magnetic pull. But I'm here to announce this morning that I am now the slave of a new master. I am owned by God. I am subject to him. My relationship to sin has been radically transformed. Do I still get jealous? Yes. Sometimes I still get angry. I mean, how could I not? I have red hair. (laughs) I want revenge because of perceived injustices, especially when I'm driving. (laughs) Y'all laugh nervous on that one. I know you guys. Man, when y'all get in the car, you're feeling NASCAR, aren't you? especially out on 70. You know Highway 7, that's not the speed limit, that's the number of the highway. Uh, Heard about a man who uh, had just given his life to Christ. Actually, it was a guy that attended a church my dad pastored, and he he was a brand new Christian and was trying to figure out how to live the Christian life, you know, and this guy ran him off the road. So he did what any God-fearing man would do, he kicked it. Caught up with the guy and ran him off the road. His wife said, honey, you're a Christian now. And the Bible says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He said, well, he must have wanted me to do it unto him. He did it unto me. (laughs) It's all in the interpretation. I stand before you this morning and I admit to you as a Christian and a pastor that I suffer the consequences of my battles with sin. Now, I've died to sin, but sin has not yet died within me, but there will be a day when it will. This sermon series that we're going to go through the next few weekends, the thing I want you to understand is that there's a big difference in my life now. My relationship to sin has changed, and here's here's what the change is. It no longer has dominion over me. It no longer has dominion over me. Since this is true, in my daily life, I can no longer relate to sin as if it does have dominion over me. Y'all with me? 
You see, I have to make sure that my experience with sin is consistent with my relationship with God and my understanding of theology, the word of God, the study of God in relation to sin. Here's what I mean by that. Anger does not own me. Christ owns me. Lust does not motivate me. Christ motivates me. Jealousy is not victorious in my life. Christ is victorious in my life. And the cross, the cross stands as an assurance to me that I've been saved from the power of sin. And one day I will be fully and finally delivered from its presence. Yes, I still battle sin. It still gets in me sometimes, but I always rest in knowing that I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. He took my sin upon himself, and he went to the cross, and he triumphed over sin, and he broke the power of sin. And now I'm just here in this earth, battling all the while, waiting for him to speak the word and bring that battle with sin to a total end once and for all. Now, I don't know anybody... <clears throat> who isn't interested in having his or her sins forgiven. I don't know anybody who isn't interested in having his or her sins dealt with and removed from their life. Yet, how is sin forgiven? How is sin forgiven? How is it forgiven? Well, we can't forgive our own sin. I mean, you can watch TV and read pop psychology, and it'll say we just need to forgive ourselves. Just forgive yourself. I mean, suppose Matt Bartlett came up here. I mean, Matt's a sweet guy. He was the, he was the young man who sang with the, he was the ugly one <coughs> who sang up here. And uh, Matt, uh, what if he came up to me, didn't like something I said in the sermon, just punched me right in the nose. I've seen some people who wanted to do that. Then after he punched me in the nose, he just didn't speak to me for a few days. And then he comes back up to me and goes, now, Pastor, I want you to know I've dealt with what I did, with, did to you. I want you to know I've been reading some stuff by Dr. Phil. <laughs> I've been watching Oprah. And Pastor, I want you to know that I've forgiven myself for hitting you in the nose. I'd go, whoa, little skinny boy. <laughs> Only the punchy can forgive the puncher. Isn't that right? Only Jesus, the punchee, can forgive us, the puncher. Our secular society says just forgive yourself and everything will be all right. And I understand there's some truth in that. In this whole arena of forgiveness, there is the forgiving of yourself. Because we know Satan is our accuser. And even after we've brought our sin to Jesus and Jesus has washed it out of our life, does the enemy keep bringing it up before us? Does he? Amen, amen. I mean, stuff that's been forgiven, stuff that's under the blood of Jesus, stuff that the Bible, you know what the Bible says about your sin when you bring it to Jesus? He throws it as far as the east is from the west. I don't even know what that means, but it, that's a long way right there. And throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. There's an old southern gospel song they used to sing a long time ago, What Sins Are You Talking About? And that's how Jesus feels about your sins that are forgiven. What, are, what sins are you talking about? See, sometimes we can't let it go. So I understand that. But don't get into this thing where we all kind of look at each other and go, I'm okay, you're okay. You affirm me and I'll affirm you and everything will be all right. 
Because there's something you need to understand about sin, and that is that all sin, every sin in the past, all sin present, and all sin in the future is against God. Your sin is against God. When you sin, it's against God. You remember David? David was lazy one day, and his men went into battle, and instead of him going into battle with them and fighting the battle with them, David uh, decided he'd hang back. How many of you out there know that when things are going really, really well for us, and the doctor gives us a good report, and the guy at the bank gives us a good report, and you know everything's just going great, how many of you know we can really get slack in our disciplines toward God in times like that? Well, David's nature kicked in, and he was slack, and he walks out on his back deck. I'm sure they called it something else back in the Bible, but a veranda. And he saw something he shouldn't see. And lust was born in his heart. And then he followed through on lust and sent for the woman. The woman um, bore his child, and he wanted her all for himself, so he told his soldiers to take her husband, who was also one of his soldiers, to the hottest line of battle. And when the arrows and spears began to fly, for them to run and leave him there by himself. And of course, he was killed. And David might as well have just stabbed him in the heart himself. Laziness led to murder. Isn't it amazing how little things seem so insignificant but lead to huge disobedience if we don't catch it. When David sinned, he, uh, his heart was hard. He, he wouldn't come to God for forgiveness. He, he became bitter. Um, and so God sent a prophet called Nathan, and Nathan came and told David a story about injustice. And David became enraged about this story that he told uh, about how this rich man had taken advantage of this poor man. And as David was raging in anger and talking about what ought to happen to that rich man, Nathan looks at him and go, you're the man. You're the rich man I'm talking about. And David was, oh. And out of that, David humbled his heart. And if you don't know how to ask God to forgive your sin, all you got to do is study Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 is the prayer David prayed to get back right with God after his sin with Bathsheba. And in the middle of that prayer, or down in verse 4, Psalm 51 verse 4, I want you to look at one of the things he says in his repentance prayer. Against you. Against you, O God, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Here's what we need to understand. And I'm not trying to guilt you today. I'm not trying to guilt you, but I do want to preach the truth to you. My sin that I talked about in the beginning of the sermon, because I wanted you to know that I'm no different than you. I battle with the same temptations you battle with. I struggle just like you struggle. But our sin, ladies and gentlemen, is an affront to a holy God. And only he can forgive our sin. So we're going to look at a couple questions today. Um, how does God forgive sin, and why did Jesus die? In this series, we're going to look at four things about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, we're going to look at the purpose of his sacrifice. 
the purpose of his sacrifice, and the purpose of the sacrifice of Jesus is that it was substitutionary. Now that's a long word, but it's a very simple word. It means that on that cross, he died in your place. He was a substitution. He was your substitution. The doctrine of the substitutionary death of Jesus is essential to your Christianity. It is essential to your relationship with God. So let's look into it just a little bit before we go home. 1 Peter 3.18. Look what it says. For Christ also died for sins, notice this, once for all. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The just. Who was the just one in this? Jesus. The just died for the unjust. Who was that? You and I, us, all mankind. Well, why did he die? So that he might bring us to God. You say, well, where did we get separated from God? Oh, it didn't take us long. Second, third chapter of Genesis. We got started early. And the moment man sinned, God talked about his solution, his, his uh, antidote for that sin. And his antidote for that was his son that he would send his son to die on a cross in our place. Let's look at it in the message just for some clarity. 1 Peter 3.18, that's what Christ did definitely. Suffered because of others' sins. The righteous one for the unrighteous ones. He went through it all. Even when they offered him a drug that would dull the pain. He said, no. He went through it all, was put to death, and then made alive in the resurrection. Why? To bring us back to God. You see, when Adam and and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God and man were together, but when Adam and Eve sinned, it separated God and man. And now man is here, and God is here, and there's a great gulf called sin in the middle, and there's only one bridge. That's why we call our churches the bridge. There's only one bridge that will bring man back to God, and it's that cross right there. It's that cross right there. There's no other way back to God. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care how many hours you volunteer. I don't care how kind you are. Your goodness will not save you. You have to come by the cross. Contrary to popular opinion, uh, popular opinion, Jesus didn't die a martyr. You see, martyrs are those who die tragically. Martyrs do not plan to die. Jesus knew, even as a child, excuse me, Jesus knew even as a child he was going to die. The Bible says from his youth up, he knew. I don't know exactly what that means, but could it be that when he worked in the carpenter's shop, his, his earthly Father, which was not his father, the Holy Spirit, of course, God, Father. But as he worked with his earthly father in that carpenter shop, could it be that every time he picked up a nail, he knew these nails would be driven through his hands and his feet? When he was a little boy playing with the other children and he would prick his finger on a briar, did it flash in his mind that one day a crown of thorns would be upon his head? He was not a martyr. He knew he was going to die, came here to die. Martyrs don't plan it. 
Jesus did not die primarily as an example. Now, in some ways, his death is an example to us, but that's not primarily why he died. Why did he die? As a substitute. He died as a substitute. Now, in our last sermon series, we talked about discernment. We talked about knowing truth from error. We talked about looking at a situation or hearing teaching and being able by the touch of God and the, and the uh, supernatural ability that God provides to be able to know quickly and evaluate quickly. No, this is not true. This is not right. We talked about discernment. That's an important sermon series if you haven't heard it. We talked about deluded teaching, false teaching. So I want to tell you that one of the ways you can recognize deluded teaching or liberal teaching of the scriptures is when the teacher tends to get away from the doctrine of the substitutionary death of Jesus. Without question, our text and the entire Bible teaches that Christ the just one died on the cross in the place of sinners, the unjust ones. We should have died. We deserve to die, but he came to this earth, lived a life of total perfection, and became our substitute on the cross. And maybe you're asking this morning, why did he have to die? I mean, why couldn't God just forgive us? Why couldn't we just come to him and... and, and he would just forgive us for what we did because he's a holy God. Follow me. If there was one word that you were asked, if somebody looked at you and said, I want you to describe God, but only use one word, here's the word you ought to use, holy. Holy, he is a holy God. That's what that word just means in our text. God is infinitely righteous. God is infinitely just. And since he is infinitely righteous and just and completely holy, listen to me carefully, God has a burning hatred for sin. Now, he loves you, but he has a burning hatred for sin. God is holy, and by contrast, we're sinful. Man is sinful by birth. Man is sinful by nature. Man is sinful by choice. He is sinful by practice. Y'all feeling pretty good about yourself so far? Stay with me. Now, the word sin is out of date. When preachers stand in pulpits and mention the word sin and talk about sin, they are labeled old-fashioned, Bible-thumpers, intolerant. People mock and laugh at the idea of sin. Now, here's why they do. Here's why they do. And I got to tell you something, man. It is hard to find anything on your television that isn't mocking God and mocking the Bible and mocking anything righteous. The reason they mock, though, and the reason they laugh is because they're ignorant about the substitutionary death of Jesus. If they understood the price that was paid so that they could go to heaven and not go to hell, they would never mock it. They would never laugh at it. It's ignorance, ladies and gentlemen, and rebellion. You can pick up any newspaper and read stories of violence and theft and rape and perversions of all kinds. But when you read these stories in your newspaper, there are some things you will never, ever see. There's one word you will never, ever see, and that one word you will never see is the word Sin. You will never see the word sin. Now, sin's the reason, sin's the root, sin's the cause, but you'll never see that word sin. Oh, they'll talk about bad behavior and 
They'll talk about social ills. And they'll talk about social problems, but they never really talk about sin. Yet in America today, I want you to listen to this. 24 teenage girls will have an abortion in the next 30 minutes. 24 teenage girls will have an abortion in the next 30 minutes. 14 will give birth to illegitimate babies. Let me, let me change that. There, there aren't any illegitimate babies, just illegitimate parents. Baby's innocent. 228 children will be beaten or molested or abused by their parents in the next 30 minutes. 285 of America's youngsters will become victims of broken homes. 285 in the next 30 minutes. You know, people can walk out, people can reject, people can get mad when you talk about these kind of things, but I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, the problem is sin. Sin is destroying the soul of America, and in the process, America is ruining her children. As a matter of fact, I was reading the other day about the fall of different civilizations through history, and two things stood out as characteristics of civilizations that fall. And one of them was, we turn on the children. Are we there in America? We've turned on the children. I mean, you open your newspaper up every day, and there's something that a grown person has done to a little child. Another thing we do that shows the, the uh, near collapse of a civilization is we turn on the elderly. And we say things like, they would be better off not here. The bottom line is this, that God is holy and man is sinful. And I want to tell you with all of the emotion of my soul, as surely as I stand here, as surely as there is a God in heaven, no ifs, ands, buts, doubts about it, all sin all sin, not some, but all sin has to be punished. All sin has to be punished. One thing God can never do is overlook sin. He can't do it. Listen, if God overlooked one half of one sin for all eternity, he would no longer be a holy God. He would topple from his throne of righteousness and holiness. All sin must be punished. Now, here's the question. Listen, listen. Who will bear the punishment? Who will bear the punishment? Either you will accept the price he paid for your sin, and you will allow him to bear the punishment for you, or you will bear it. Either Christ bears it for you, or you will bear it for yourself. And I know this is hard, and I know preachers don't preach like this anymore. But one great preacher put it this way, our sin is pardoned in Christ or punished in hell. My sin, your sin, no one sin will ever be overlooked. It'll be dealt with by a holy and righteous God. Now I want you to listen to me as I kind of move into another area of this sermon. As a matter of fact, let me just say something that's going to make all of you feel good in closing. Now tell our visitors what that means nothing but it gives you hope <laughs> way back in the Old Testament there is a clear picture of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ 
through something called the Passover. You don't want to miss this. Listen. Y'all remember Joseph in the coat of many colors? You remember that story in the Bible, in the book of Genesis? Well, when Joseph died in Genesis, when he died, the nation of Israel, also referred to as the Hebrews or the Jewish nation, was growing so quickly that the Pharaoh of Egypt became afraid of the Jews. He was afraid they were going to grow to such a size and population that they could overwhelm the nation of Egypt, which was the world ruler at that time. So what he decided he would do is conquer them, and he would bring them in and uh, control them, bring them in uh, to bondage and control them to make slaves of them. Before uh, Egypt even came, before Pharaoh even came to conquer them, uh, the Israelites had been moving away from God and had been messing around with idols. Listen to me, because this applies to you. When you start messing around with idols and ignoring God, the hand of protection God has over you, he pulls back. And when God pulled back his hand of protection, Pharaoh and all his Egyptian warriors had no problem coming in and taking the children of Israel, putting them under bondage. They had been in bondage for 400 years. And they were tired of the bite and the sting of the taskmaster's whip. And so they began to cry out to God in repentance after 400 years. Boy, it does take us a while to realize we need God, doesn't it? And they cried out and they said, Dear God, send us Charlton Heston. They said, Lord, send us, the children are going, the teenagers are going, who? Where's he in the Bible? <laughs> um, they cried for a deliverer. God, through a series of amazing events, miracles. Matter of fact, really, they ought to make a movie about this. God sent Moses to go before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Now, there's been some confusion about my name. My name is Pharaoh. Some people thought it was Pharaoh because I didn't seem to know when to let God's people go either. <laughs> but my name's Pharaoh. You do not need a deliverer. Pharaoh had a hard heart. He would not set them free. Instead of him hearing from Moses and receiving the word of the Lord, he rejected the word of the Lord. And, and when you hear preaching like I'm preaching and you hear the word of the Lord and you reject it, your heart gets hard. That's really important because you know something? You might feel a little tear this morning. You might feel some emotion this morning from the sermon and from the music and the worship and the videos. But if you'll just keep rejecting God over and over and over and over, after a while, you won't shed that tear anymore. Your heart will get a crust on it. It'll get a hard shell on it. And when you get like that, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So the Lord sent plagues, awful, awful plagues. And every time he would send a plague upon the people of Egypt to get Pharaoh to let his people go, Pharaoh's heart just seemed to get harder. But then the tenth plague was death. And he said, I'm going to send a death angel. Go ahead and tell Yul Brenner that I'm going to send a death angel. <laughs> tell the Pharaoh, I'm going to send a death angel. 
And that death angel is going to pass over the nation of Egypt. And the firstborn of every family is going to die. God's serious about sin and rebellion. He said, however, Moses, tell the children of Israel, if they will kill a spotless lamb and take the blood from that lamb and put it over the doorpost, when the death angel comes, he will pass. He will pass over you and and the children in that house will not receive harm. The firstborn will not die. Passover. Y'all remember we used to sing that song? How many old people we got here today? When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, say it with me, I will pass, I will pass over you. The spotless Passover lamb in the Old Testament that shed his blood to be applied to the doorpost was a picture and a prophecy of the substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus for us. You see the picture? That spotless lamb shed his blood in the place of that firstborn that was bound to die when the death angel came over. But because that lamb gave his life, death did not come to that home. And if you will accept what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross and you will accept his substitutionary death on the cross in your behalf for your sin, substitution for you, and you will accept that payment, And when death comes, it will pass. It will pass over you. And you will live eternally in heaven. I'm preaching to you this morning the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear the word of the Lord. Go to 1 Peter 1.18 and let's look at it. If you don't believe what I'm saying is true, look at 1 Peter 1.18. Knowing that you were not redeemed. Now that word redeemed means ransomed. Did y'all see the movie Ransom with Mel Gibson? Oh, I know you saw it. That's a great movie, man. Need to watch it on TBS or something, though. Don't watch it. Don't rent it. The people said, all right. They took his boy. The man wanted a ransom for his precious son. I want to tell you that we've been kidnapped. We were kidnapped in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. We were taken hostage. And a price had to be paid so we could live free. So we could live free. And the only price that could be paid and the only price that was acceptable was that God himself had to come to this earth and take on flesh and live a life of perfection and die on an old rugged cross so you could be brought back to God. So you could be ransomed. Look look what it says. Knowing that you were not redeemed or ransomed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were ransomed, you were bought back, you were paid for with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you sitting here this morning are kidnapped. You're being held hostage by the enemy. The ransom has been paid, but in order for you to be free, in order for you to live free from that kidnapper, you've got to accept payment. You've got to accept what he's done for you and accept him into your heart. 
In the Old Testament, a spotless lamb gave his life. He shed his blood, a ransom, so that the Israelites could live free. In the New Testament, the spotless lamb of God, Jesus Christ, gave his life. And his blood was a ransom that was paid so that you and I could live free. Jesus Christ was God's lamb. He died on the cross. When you go to Israel today, you can actually go out on the fields of Bethlehem. And if you stand in the fields of Bethlehem, and you're in those shepherd's fields, you can stand and look back and you'll see the town of Bethlehem where Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was whiter than snow. In the time of Christ, the Levitical shepherds, I want you to get this now, listen. In the time of Christ, the Levitical shepherds were raising these lambs in these fields. They were the fields of Boaz. They were just outside the town of Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I mean, you all do know that in order for men to be saved before Jesus died on the cross, they had to shed the blood of these spotless, innocent little lambs and doves and the bullock and other animals. The blood flowed like a river for the sins of men. And isn't it amazing that all these little Passover lambs that were raised up to be offered for the sins of men back before the cross was right outside Bethlehem where the Lamb of God would be born. God's so cool. They were not raising these lambs for breeding and the propagation of their stock or they were not raising the lambs for food or for wool. These were special lambs. They were in that particular field raised by particular shepherds. These were, listen to me, these were Passover lambs. They had a special diet. They had special care. And every year, these lambs from the shepherds' fields were brought into the city of Jerusalem on Passover week, and they were sacrificed for sin, for two reasons. They were sacrificed for sin, that's the primary reason. But they were also sacrificed to remember how they were in Egyptian bondage and lambs were offered and how the death angel passed over. So they were remembering the deliverance of God. How many of y'all know how important it is to look back and remember we've been delivered, we've been set free? They would bring these same little lambs in through the sheep gate. This is so cool, guys, listen. And they would bring them up to offer them for sins of men. They would bring them up on this bedrock called Mount Moriah. Does that sound familiar? Remember Abraham, his little boy Isaac? And God says, Abraham, do you love me? And Abraham, Abraham says, Lord, you know I love you. He says, I want you to offer your son. I want you to sharpen the blade of your knife and I want you to take your son up to Mount Moriah and I want you to build an altar and I want you to put your son on that altar and I want you to take your knife and thrust it into your son and give him to me. Abraham no doubt wept as he and his boy Isaac made that journey and Isaac said, Father, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb we will offer? Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. God will provide a sacrifice. He walked up on top of that mountain and bound his son and put him on that altar. 
drew his knife to plunge it into the heart of his son. And as he pulled the knife back, a word from heaven came, Abraham, do not harm the lad. I have provided a substitute. Your son doesn't have to die. I've provided a substitute. Look in the bush near you. I see Abraham turn and look, and there's a spotless lamb with his horns caught in a thicket. Sounds familiar. His horns caught in a thorny bush around his head. A picture of Jesus wearing the crown of thorns all the way back in Genesis. Not only is God cool, but so is his Bible. And I can just see Abraham rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. His son doesn't have to die because a substitute has been provided. What you may not know is that the week just before the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, At the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the week just before Jesus died on the cross, they brought those little Passover lambs into Jerusalem. Because, see, they didn't know who Jesus was. Remember, the Jews didn't receive Jesus. What's the Bible say in the book of John, John, um, first chapter of John? He came unto his own, and his own what? Received him not. They didn't know. This is another weird guy that just needs to be crucified and get him out of the way. He's nobody, so they brought the little spotless lambs in to, to do as they do every year and offer them, offer their blood. And while these shepherds were bringing in these sheep in the sheep gate on, on that very same day, Jesus was riding in on a little donkey and people were raving, uh, raising palm branches and waving them, saying, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to the king. These little Passover lambs were coming in one gate and the lamb of God was coming in the other gate on the same day. We call it Palm Sunday. We call it his triumphal entry. Those lambs were coming into Jerusalem. (laughs) So was Jesus on the same day. Have you ever noticed when you're reading the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have you ever noticed that we just go through it really fast in the first chapters of those books, but then when it gets to the last three weeks, or the last week, really, of Jesus' life, all of a sudden, the Bible just slows way down. I mean, it just slows down. And then when you get to the last three days of Jesus' life, it slows down even more, revealing even more details in those last three days. Now, listen to me. Why is that? Why do we go through all the miracles and the teachings of Jesus really, really fast, but when we get to the last week of Jesus' life, it really goes into slow motion? Because in those last three days before these spotless lambs were offered, They were thoroughly examined. I mean, the priest would examine these little lambs because the instructions were clear under that Old Testament economy. You couldn't offer just any lamb. So they would examine them, and if there was a spot, a blemish, a torn ear, a a blemish on the skin, some kind of deformity, no matter how small it was, they would even look inside the mouth of these lambs. They would even examine their eyelids and closely in their ears and their eyelids to find any blemish. And if there were any problems with that little lamb, it would be rejected because God demands a perfect sacrifice. And in the same three days when they were being examined, these Passover lambs, the Lord Jesus was being examined as well on that temple mount. 
Boy, they examined him, didn't they? You remember? They picked at him. The Pharisees examined him. The Herodians examined him. The civil leaders examined him. The Sadducees examined him. And the reason they're called Sadducees is because they're sad, you see. They questioned him. They challenged him. They nitpicked him until finally a man who didn't even know who Jesus was, didn't understand Jesus, hadn't received Jesus, finally threw up his hands and said, after all this examination, I find no fault in this man. I find no spot. I find no blemish. Another one said, never a man spoke like that man. On one occasion, Jesus himself said, which of you can convict me of sin? In the modern day language, that would be bring it. When Jesus was being baptized, his father looked down from heaven heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks as long as God says you're all right. But it also doesn't matter what the crowd says if God says you're not all right. At the very same moment they were building that cross for the Lord Jesus, on the very same mountain, those Levitical priests were sharpening their knives, getting ready to sacrifice these little lambs. Then came that day of crucifixion, and the Lord Jesus died on the cross. Listen to me. At 3 p.m., when Jesus was on the cross, the knives of those Levitical priests began to flash in the sun. They raised the chins of these little lambs. They thrust in that razor-sharp knife and cut the juggler, and the blood flowed into a basin as it had so many times before. And at that very same moment, Jesus hung on the cross, blood dripping. You couldn't recognize him, Isaiah says, because they had abused him so. And the last thing out of his mouth was, it is finished! When he said it is finished, what he meant by that was no longer will you have to offer little Passover lambs. For I, the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God, God on this day has provided himself a sacrifice, a substitute. From that moment on, there was no need to ever again offer a little Passover lamb. Passover was transcended by the cross. Peter wrote in our text, the just died for the unjust, that we might be brought back to God. Listen to me. You may never come back in this church again. You may say, if that's the kind of preaching you're going to do in this church, I won't be back. That's fine, because that is the kind of preaching we're going to do in this church. But I want you to listen to me. I love you. I love you. And when you stand before God on the last day, you don't want to have sit under some watered-down preaching. It might make you more comfortable in this world, but when you stand before God, if you sit under some watered-down, deluded, liberal preaching that doesn't tell you what it means to be right with God, and God looks at you, and he looks through that Lamb's book of life, and your name isn't there, and you look at him and go, but the church I went to and the preacher I listened to didn't tell me. That's why I'm telling you. Because when you stand before God, I want you to say, my name's in there because my preacher told me. 
My preacher told me what I needed to know to get my name in that book. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers who ever preached, was laying on his deathbed, and he had said so many profound things. He was so smart, just incredibly intelligent, had an incredible grasp of the scriptures, and and just had said so many things and preached so many sermons that had just wowed people and left them breathless. He was an orator. He knew how to put words together that would just make you be in awe of him. And now he's on his deathbed and people are wondering, what will he say? What will he leave us? What will be his final words of of the gospel? And so somebody came to him as he was breathing his last and they said, Dr. Spurgeon, what what does your gospel say now that you are laying on your deathbed? And they all leaned in. And all he said was this, Jesus Christ died for me. The substitutionary death of Jesus. Now here's what I'm preaching and here's what I'm telling you. And it's up to you. You can accept the payment for your sins that Jesus paid. Or you can mock that cross. And you can mock his death. And you can mock his resurrection. And you can say, I don't want to get in all this religious stuff. And there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church. Look, I I don't want you to come to me. You're right. Sometimes I am a hypocrite. You're right. Our church isn't perfect. Sometimes I get on my own nerves. Don't come to us. I can't save you. This church can't save you. You got to come to the cross. You say, well, I want to go to another church. I don't like how y'all do things here. That's awesome, man. That's wonderful. We just want you in the kingdom. There are wonderful churches in our community, wonderful pastors, wonderful preachers, wonderful leaders that are preaching the truth. You find the church you're supposed to be, and I don't care about that. You say, I'm not going to write you a check. I don't care about that. Hope God will change your mind on that, but I don't care about that. (laughs) I really don't care about that. I want to get you to the cross. See, you've got to accept his payment for your sins, because if you don't accept his payment for your sins, then you've got to pay, and you'll pay for eternity. In hell. And you're not going to hear that everywhere you go. So I want you to bow your head and just close your eyes. Right there where you are, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up here. I'm not going to play sad organ music. I'm just going to say to you right now, just turn to Jesus. Say something like this to him. Say, Jesus, I've been running from you. I've been making excuses. Talking about hypocrites in the church. And, but I know I need you. I hear your voice calling me. I sense the Holy Spirit calling me to you. And today I say yes. Today I accept your payment 
on the cross for my sin. And I accept the fact that you rose from the dead for me that I might have life and live free in this world and in the world to come. I want to be a better daddy. I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better adult, a better teenager. I want to be a better person. So Jesus... I humbly bow before you and ask you to come into my heart and come into my life and wash my sins away with your precious blood. I am born again today. I want to be born of the Spirit. I've been born of the flesh, but I want to be born of your Spirit. I want to be born again. I want to be adopted into your family. I want to give the rest of my life to you. I've been running from you and I've been living my life like I want to, but God, I want to give the rest of my days to you. I want to make a difference. I want to help people. So today, I'm, I'm accepting you as my personal Savior. I'm accepting your payment for my sin. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed, every eye closed, will you slip your hand up real quick and put it right back down? Slip it up. I see you. See you. See you. Father, we thank you for these who have raised their hand. We ask you now that they would go to the back table in the overflow to the right and pick up some literature that will help them grow. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now listen up, guys. Don't go home yet. Don't go home yet. I know you got fried chicken on the brain, but listen. Um, we got a free book for you today. When you leave, we're going to give a free book to every family. So make sure you get your book. It's an Easter gift from us to you. If you're here for the first time, you've never gotten one of our gift and information bags, we want you to pick up one of those. If you've got somebody you're witnessing to or you raised your hand today, I want you to go over here to the right and pick up a packet for yourself or for someone else right over here to the right. Now, a lot of people have suffered in this tornado thing. We got a little three-minute video we want you to watch. Please don't leave. Please don't leave till you watch it. My son Mitch and Pastor Jeremy from, our, from the bridge, our, our bridge pastor, and our marriage and family life pastor, Scott Jennings, went out to help some people and to just assess some needs. And I want you to watch this video. Now, listen, after you watch it, uh, you're going to actually see Scott. He's going to give some keys to a lady in this video, this lady, her and her family were at Andy's in Snow Hill, and, uh, um, and it doesn't have a drive-through, but they drove through, okay? And <clears throat> right at the beginning of this video, you're going to see the bottom of a van laying on its side inside an Andy's. And that is this family. And we had heard about this happening, but we had no idea God was going to put us with them. God put us with them. She's a new mom. She's, she's still nursing her child. She was broken up by this, but she is at home. We found out about it. They were going through tremendous financial trouble because the husband couldn't work. He had to stay there, take care of her. He couldn't work. And the only way he got paid, of course, was to work. And they got three little kids. And so we got up with them and found them. And we went in there and just blessed them. You did. You did it. 
And a lady in our church said, you know what, I got a car, I'm not gonna be using it for a couple months, just let them use it, just take it to them. Isn't that awesome? That's the kind of people you are, man. I'm telling you, you guys are unbelievable. <clears throat> it was a Volvo, so I almost gave her my car and I took the Volvo, but God convicted my heart. And I want you to watch this video. And as you're leaving today, you're gonna have an opportunity to give. Now don't feel any pressure. We didn't tell you about this offering. You might not be ready to give. You can give online. You can go to whitleychurch.com, click give online, go down at the bottom, put in storm and put in the amount and you can give online. But we want you to watch this video and then we'll go home. God bless you.